uh, as Ty and Tyler just shared, to, uh, to see and hear about the work that God's doing uh, all around the world. So again, our friend, uh, and hopefully uh, she'll come to be your friend too, Ms. Smita Singh, uh, who is in Calcutta, India. And so real quick, I want to thank Roger and Pam Wirtz again. Uh, is Pam, is she coming in? She's at the table? Okay. Well, thank y'all for all of, all of your hospitality on this. She minds, Smitta? <laughs> she does? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Please tell her to come in. Yeah. Pam? Please Smith- come in. Smitta says come in now. You have permission. Uh-huh. And Thomas Joyner. Welcome them. Thank <laughs> yes. them. Because uh, they have uh, to promote also. They, they've organized. There's going to be a fundraiser tomorrow night. Uh, it's, it's non-church related, but we want to promote it. Uh, for uh, raising, uh, raising funds and, and awareness uh, for this ministry uh, in Calcutta. And also, if you didn't know it, the, really the Bengal state, right. state of Bengali uh, in India. So real quick, if you also want to visit with her, have time with her, she's going to be here till Sunday. She'll also present uh, a little scale back in Sunday service, but she will present. We'll pray over then. Uh, we'll look forward to that. 2013. I took a doctorate class, and there was a gentleman, the missions pastor in Atlanta, Jay, Jay Madden, who became a friend, and we were already involved as a church in the ministry in India through the Monterales, and so Jay and I, mission pastor at a large church, uh, well, Presbyterian, I forget the name of the church in Atlanta, but we just got connected about India, and he said, you got to check out this, this ministry in Calcutta, and... You know, I wasn't, um, honestly, I prayed about even going, and the Lord directed me. He's like, you know, this is the way, this is is part of the way I've I've wired you. And so I felt led to go. So we went in 13. Smitta was so kind to uh, just open up uh, her her home and her ministry to us. And then over the years, that partnership has grown as we've supported uh, the ministry. It's called JKPS. And I don't know the words to those initials because they're in Hindi. And I can't Bengali. even pronounce them. Yeah, But we, it's JKPS Ministry. She leads the arm for the aftercare shelters that you'll hear now. But that ministry also involves church planning. It also involves uh, pastoral training. A girls and boys home from the, the, their children of the girls who are rescued. And uh, I'm going to give it over to you as a presentation. And then we'll see if you all have questions. And if you don't, I have some questions and but just very thankful for you that you're actually here in Jackson and um and we love you so look forward to hearing what you have thank to say thank you so much it's been it's been a long friendship for a few years now and it's always been there i know finney thomas was here last year so it really means a lot for me to be here in the church because i've been hearing about it i've been meeting them there uh, there are friends here even now who have visited us and so it's really thank you for making this time Uh, So I will quickly talk a little bit about, give you an overview of what we do. I will have two videos. We really wanted our girls to be here to speak to you this evening, but their visas got rejected, so we have them on uh, video. So I will share those two videos with you, and uh, then if you have questions, to just uh, go with that. So to begin with, I'll just speak a little before uh, even going into the presentation. I just want to share about myself first. how I got to do this work, and uh, the fact is that I've grown up in a Christian family. I've lived in Calcutta all my life, and uh, 
even living in Calcutta never really uh, showed me very protected life, uh, as most Bengali parents keep their daughters very protected, don't expose them to what's going around the world. So I trained as a psychologist and I practiced my area of work is substance use and addictions. And I did that for many years. Yeah. Just leave that, don't change. And uh, 2006 was the time when uh, International Justice Mission was coming into the city. They wanted someone with a background in uh, counseling to head their aftercare department. And I thought I was making a very smart career choice not knowing that you know, God had already uh, worked in my life of, since 1998, preparing me for a work such as this. And I went into that job thinking that, oh, this is be just an extension of what I've been doing so long, not having a whole lot of uh, detailed background about what trafficking meant and what happened to the girls until the first day that I had to go for a rescue operation, which is what I did for the next five years, was go with the police, uh, to rescue these children. And <clears throat> for the first time, I was in a hotel room waiting for people to bring children to be sold. And I did not have any idea that parents or relatives could actually do that. And for the first time, these four kids came. They were about 12 to 14 years of age, girls. They came, one father brought his daughter, an aunt brought her niece, and a sister brought two of her uh, sisters, cousins. And... Uh, the money was exchanged. It was a situation of entrapment. The decoy was there. He gave the money. And then the police and we came in. And when we asked the family members to come and identify their kids, the father, he's holding all this money in his hand. He looks at the girl and says, she's not my daughter. I don't know who she is. And this child is sitting beside me in that hotel room crying, saying, that's my father. He told me he's taking me for an outing. So this was the first time, really, that I personally experienced the fact that children were being sold. And, uh, you know, statistics can give you a lot of numbers, and, but when you see the faces and you see the child and you see the shock on her face when, you know, she's in a hotel and she sees and she realizes that her family is selling her, that just kind of convicted me that this is not somewhere that I can move away from. So that is how my journey started, and believe me, for the first two or three years, all I did was go into brothels, rescue girls, bring them out, put them into government shelters, or put them into aftercare homes that were nothing less than warehouses, because they were just kept there, and they were safe, they were not being abused anymore, but that's all. Nobody was thinking about their lives, about transformation, about getting them, you know, their life back, where they could actually go back and be healthy and lead a normal life again. So wanting to have Christ-centered aftercare because I've experienced Christ in my life, he has transformed me, and I know that you know, healing from trauma such as this is not possible without him being at the center of it all. And uh, nobody wanted to do it. And uh, 2008, we rescued 60 girls. 32 of them we lost because they ran away from the different homes, and they just ran right back to the brothels, and we ended up re-rescuing so many of them. So I was at a point where I wanted to give up, and this is 2008, October. And if any of you have an opportunity, look up YouTube. IJM has a video called Ray of Hope. And one of my girls who I had rescued in 2007, she actually ran away from a home. She was a very settled girl, stable girl, and we found her. Um, so when she ran away in October, I was at 
my rock bottom. This, this is, I cannot do this anymore. I want to quit. But God really spoke very strongly through a, a verse from Joshua 6.22, which I had no idea what it meant. I had not read it. I had no, you know, it was for the first time and only time in my life that God has spoken to me in a dream where he, he gave me a verse. And I'm like, I'm the psychologist. You know, numbers don't work in dreams. I did not open the Bible. I watched TV instead. And there I'm scrolling through the different channels, and there's a pastor preaching whose name is Joshua Daniel. I still don't get it. I call the person who's doing the voiceover to say that this is, you know, someone called, I heard your voice on TV. Then my mother brought me the Bible. She says, I think you need to read what this says because God has been speaking to you. And if you open it, it just says that Joshua is telling the spies, go into the house of the prostitute and bring her and her family out as you have promised her. So this is 2008. And 2009, um, IJM, JKPS, which means National Christian Evangelical Commission uh, in Bangla, and a church in Florida and an organization from Canada. So four people from four different parts of the world came together to set up the first aftercare home that was Christ-centered. So if we can have the first slide. So that's the background through how Mahima came about. And the problem really still remains the same, that children are being sold even now. Uh, the statistics say over 150 girls go missing in India uh, throughout every single day. And West Bengal tops the list in that. Uh, every 15 minutes, we'll be here an hour. Four children will be sexually abused in this one hour that we are here. And uh, West Bengal again tops the list in that as well. So this is statistics, but then we work with the children who are there, who come to us now through the child services, and we get the opportunity to see God at work. So sometimes I like to say it's like a ringside view of seeing God at work because we see him do things, amazing things that we cannot even imagine, uh, breakthroughs that he brings for us that it's not us, and we know that, and that is how we've seen him work. So my name means someone who smiles, and honestly, even though I work in an area that one would think is really heavy and sad, he gives me so much opportunities to smile every day just by working with these children. So Mahima Home, uh, the second slide, please. Mahima Home uh, basically started as a need to um, provide professional care. So like I said, most homes did not have a structure, did not have a plan, did not do assessments. There were no social workers, no counselors. They had 150 girls and maybe just five staff or 10 staff. So we did what was opposite. I did not have a model that I was following when I set up the aftercare homes. So everything that we saw did not work in the other homes. We tried to do the opposite. So we have small homes. We have less girls. We have a higher staff-client ratio. We have a more structured program which looks towards reintegration as to what are the steps necessary to get the girl back to the community in a healthy way that she can be completely as part of the community as she was before she left. So before I just go further in the number of the homes, we'll watch one of my girls um, just share her um, testimony, you say her, her journey till now. She's not been with us very long. She's been with us for about nine, ten months now. So this is Indira. That's not her real name, but that's her. 
So that's Indra, and just as I was here, one day, I think it was two hours, she has painted a canvas that is taller than her, and she used her hands and then a brush, and it's absolutely fantastic. And when I saw that, the first thing that struck me, because my therapist mind works all the time, when she first came, there are a couple of paintings, the cards that you have here that she's done. It was mostly blacks, and this painting was so different because it is just vibrant and it is colorful. So that's just the journey of her from uh, when she came to be here and now. So if we go to the next slide, just to give you an overview, we have four homes right now. So two homes are for girls who are under the age of 18 who have been rescued from the sex trade or have been sexually abused just by living in the red light area. Their mothers are wanting to leave the sex trade and we have taken in some of their children. So in these two homes, we have a capacity for 40 kids. We right now have 32, of whom 12 are children who are more for prevention because they have been sexually abused but not commercially exploited in the sex trade and we want to prevent that. Um, we have a third home which is for adults. So once the girls age out after they turn 18, many of them are not really ready to go back into the community. Either their homes are not safe or they themselves have not completely worked on the trauma that they've experienced or they don't have a skill or a job that they can take back with them. So they can stay an additional two years with us. So we prepared them to with a job. Once they have been working for about six to eight months, we then help them find housing in the city so that they can be on their own. Uh, the last two years, we've started a boys' home. If you could go to the next one, yeah. So these are, again... We have 18 boys here in the age group of uh, 5 to about 14. These boys have also been living in the red light district with their mothers. Uh, off late, we have seen a lot more abuse of boys happening in Calcutta, which was not happening earlier on. So this is for the first time that we have been able to take boys over and work with them as well with uh, the abuse that they have experienced. Their manifestations are very different from the way the girls would uh, you know, bring up the, their trauma, but uh, we are trying to help these boys as well. Uh, next slide, please. We went into the red light district as well, uh, part of our outreach and prevention that we can only take care of that many kids through our residential program. But the number of kids who get trafficked is huge. And this is one of the most vulnerable areas where these children can be trafficked from. And this is right in the heart of our city. It is the largest red light district in probably all of Asia. We have 15 to 20,000 women who are registered with the sex workers union there who practice prostitution. So we have a space inside that place where we have 60 kids who come in every day to get additional tutoring, they learn English, computers, they have um, music therapy and life skills. And the reason for having it in the evening is because the mothers have their customers at that time from four to eight. That is the time these children come to us where we can keep them away from a lot of the unpleasantness because the brothels are really like big buildings which have multiple little, 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 little rooms. And sometimes there are two or three people who share one room. And they could have their customers at the same time just divided by a curtain. And these kids are experiencing that because they live there and they study there and all of that. So we give them that space. Uh, beyond this, um, just some impact. So over the last eight years, we've had 243 girls come through our homes. 
Most of them have been able to be returned to their families, repatriated to Bangladesh and Nepal because from there they get trafficked. Uh, many of them in school, college, nursing completed, uh, in jobs, working, uh, married with children. I have plenty of grandkids. So when she says she's a grandmama, Pam, I said I beat her to it because I have lots of them. And uh, we have one good thing that's happened with Mahima is that girls are beginning to testify in court. Uh, earlier on, girls would get released, they would get re-trafficked, they would never come back to court. So there was no accountability when the traffickers were arrested. They knew that we can get out. But now it's not so easy. These girls have been very brave. Indira, in fact, um, went to court and the mother of the accused came up with a lot of photographs because just before she goes up to testify, and we did not have a child-friendly court. We've only had that two weeks ago. Uh, so they have to be up in a regular open courtroom and you know all the defense lawyers and everyone just shouting questions at them. So she was throwing around pictures of her in very revealing clothes, being in the club and the party just to say that she's a bad-charactered girl and we should not be listening to her. So that kind of really broke her down. Uh, and she says, you know, why is she doing this? So, you know, the social worker with her just explains to her that she wants to intimidate you so that you do not testify. But she testified really strongly and I'm sure that there will be conviction in her case as well. So that has been some of the successes. And as I was sharing with somebody today that we've been able to keep re-trafficking numbers to less than 10%. Uh, we do have the 10% that have gone back to the sex trade are those who've been from families where it's generational. And even after being with us two years, once they turn 18, they prefer to go back to the sex trade that they're in. Apart from our rehabilitation, yeah, this has been the joy of my heart is that we really want children to know the redemptive love of Christ and be transformed by it. And in India, to be able to be baptized, you have to be 18. You have to go through a whole legal process before you can be baptized because you're converting from one religion to another. So we've had eight girls so far who have been baptized. Uh, my girls are believers. They believe God has you know, rescued them from where they are, but they are waiting until they turn 18 when they can go. Many of our girls have not. They have left the home and they've gone back to their own families and practiced their own religion. But we do have a big group of girls who have experienced that in their life. So this is my... We will watch one more video and then I will wind up and then we can have question and answers. So Swati and some of the other girls have been helping us in creating awareness because that is the way to go. Uh, we can take in so many kids, but awareness and prevention is a big focus. So we are looking at the villages in giving information about how to keep their children safe and if children go missing, what is to be done. In the schools and colleges of Calcutta, we are talking to boys and girls, uh, especially boys, because we feel that a change of mindset is required in the men of my country to make a change that will probably take many years, more than my lifetime, but we want to make a start at that. And we've been able to address close to 6,000 people uh, till now. And, uh, yeah, so awareness and prevention is a big part of my work. So an overview is that we have four homes for children. We work in the red light district. We are doing awareness and prevention. And the girls are a big part of creating, ad, 
you know, being advocates against human trafficking, against sex trafficking, and bringing that message to the people of India. So that is Mahima Homes for you. Thank you, Smita. Want to have time for questions? We started a little late, so we'll go a little bit after seven. Uh, and again, there's time if you want to visit with her personally over the next couple of days, uh, and then tomorrow evening's event as well. But any questions that y'all would have personally, and uh, and I'll give you the mic so you can uh, make sure that she will hear you and we can get it recorded. So, any questions right now? Not really a question, but um, more so just uh, thank you, Smeta, for, for God's work that you do. You're truly the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and I had the great experience of being there uh, just in 2014. And so what I just want to sh- share and convey, um, just kind of two emotions that came to me as I watched this. Obviously, a picture is worth a thousand words, and to hear about this is one thing. But... The first emotion is just uh, hope and love and joy. It's amazing to me that the atrocities that these children go through, and then you can see that smile on their face. Um, it's just amazing what you guys do, and to be able to turn those lives around and give them hope. It's just, I wish I could win a lottery because you guys would have a million homes. I'd give it all to you. Uh, you do such great work, but, um, and, and even that doesn't do it justice, to talk to these girls and, and, and hear their stories and see them dance and see them is just life-changing. Um, the second emotion that maybe is hard to, to get from a video or even hearing something is just the demonic. Um, when we walked down in Red Light District, I, I can't even... I mean, I've danced with the devil many times in my life before I accepted Christ several years ago. Praise the Lord, John Hugh. But... Um, there's nothing I've ever experienced walking in the red light district. I mean, literally, you could just feel Satan there. And it's just, you just want to run home and take a shower and just get away. I mean, it, it, it is absolutely just, it was, again, a life-changing. So, again, I just want to say amazing to see that and feel that and experience that. And then go see these girls and the hope and the joy and, and that they have now finding Jesus, seeing value, having value for life and wanting to live is just incredible. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Brother Jay. Yeah, I was honored to be part of that trip with him. And, uh, you know, to give a plug, uh, it a picture is worth so much more, um, you know, being able to be there. That's what came to mind uh, for me as I was watching that, just uh, remembering, you know, seeing the girls and um, just, just seeing their faces. So, therefore, that being said, we were talking today about uh, a possible trip in 2019. I mean, if you have any interest at all, I mean, I love helping people go. I think, you know, I get the question all the time, well, I can do so much more by writing a check. Well, Maybe, but maybe God can do more in you when you go and you see this. And so I love, one of my passions is helping people go. So we were talking today about February 19. Uh, sweetie, I haven't told my wife that yet. But, uh, but anyway, it, uh, it could be a possibility. Other questions? 
Yeah, it's just so the process, just so we get it, the process of from rescue to court. So one is that rescue is a time when this utter confusion and the brothel and the girl doesn't know what's going on and she doesn't trust us and anyway, the rescue happens. When she comes in, many times we feel that, oh, they must be so relieved to be out from there or be happy to be rescued. But they've been fed so many lies over such a long time that they're really very hostile initially when they come. They're tired, they're hostile, they don't trust us, they don't trust anybody. So it takes a while. For some people, it may be two or three days. For some, it was like even 15 minutes. This one girl had come throughout the entire journey from side services to our home. It's about an hour and a half. She did not talk to anyone, just very angry. And then she came, and girls were all having their snack out, and she was sitting with them. We introduced her to everyone. And then my administrator came out, and she just asked her, how are you doing? And she said, oh, this feels like home. So for some, it takes just maybe 15, 20 minutes. For some, it has taken three months to, for them to begin trusting and knowing that we are there to help them. Uh, they have to initially start going to court, so we prepared them a lot. Uh, before that, what the court is going to be like, what are the questions that could be answered. So when they are in court, they're really prepared. But nothing prepares you to have a defense lawyer trying to tell you that you were having sex because you wanted to do that and you wanted the money that come from it. So for a 15 or a 16-year-old to stand in front of so many people and stand up to it and have her, uh, you know, traffickers just standing next to her and for her to have to identify them and speak all of this in front of them is really hard. So it takes a long time, and court cases sometimes take two, three, five years to happen, but they are patient. They want justice for themselves. And I was just sharing with her or somebody yesterday, I said that you know there are still a few girls even now who pray for their traffickers, and that is such a huge thing for them to be able to do, that they have gone to that place where they can look at forgiving them. They they showed they want them to, they should not be able to do this to someone else and there should be justice, but they are also willing to pray for forgiveness and transformation in their lives. One comment I'd make about Smita, uh, Jay talked about the evening, so she, she literally took us on a tour. We were at S- Sagashi? Kalikat. Okay. Kalikat. Uh, she literally took us on a tour of the red light district and uh, even walking amidst that, that evil, uh, you were a real light. I mean, she was just a pillar of strength. I mean, partially because you've unfortunately so familiar with it. But, you know, there was no fear. And I'll never forget. I mean, it's um, it, it's somewhat graphic, so forgive me. But we were walking up a bridge, and there were these little homes. I mean, um, really shacks down below. And uh, just watching men lead, you know, young girls into them and, um, and it was just—it was just happening. It was going on. So, um, tell them a little bit. You—you you talked to me today about the change, really, since uh, in the last year or so, and and how. So the, the rescues, you know, the, the the pimps are basically getting smarter, mm-hmm. uh, and and hiding the girls, and it's getting more difficult. So, 2012 to 15, 16, there was a huge push on rescue, and a lot of it happened. I think 2011. India was placed on the tip report at tier two watch list. So if they go to tier three, there's going to be a lot of sanctions. So they kind of stepped up the anti-trafficking efforts. And as a result, there was tremendous brothel raids. Many, many children were rescued at that time. 
which is why we had to open a second home because we only had 20 beds in one and we couldn't accommodate the number of girls coming in. But 2016-17, almost 18 now, uh, it's changed. Uh, they're more like going into schools, finding girls in grades 8, 9, 10, uh, grooming them as boyfriends. As it's, There's no more force. Uh, the force is more psychological manipulation. So these girls are staying at home, but they're getting addicted. For Like Swati, she comes from a home where her mom was suffering with mental health problems, couldn't take care of her. Her father had died. So she was in grade 7 when this lady in her neighborhood started inviting her over to her house and every day giving her something to eat. And so she was not getting enough food at home. So she kept eating. And then she realized that I'm having to go every day at the same time. And then one day she was just given too much of the drugs and then she was forced to uh, service a client. And then she kept coming home and when she comes home they say that, you know, if you don't come back, we are going to inform the community and you're going to be ostracized, your family is going to be in disrepute. So this is how they are now controlling the girls. It's becoming so hard to find them. They are not in the brothels anymore. They are in private homes. It could be a building next to our home. We had a girl rescued who is now living with us. Barely 800 meters from our home, it's an apartment that someone was renting, and she used to come there every day and then go. So, she, you know, it's so hard for the police to even pinpoint that that is what is going on there. So it's been a huge struggle. And two of the bigger organizations that were doing rescues, one has stopped doing rescues and the other had to close down uh, for certain irregulations that they had. So we are really suffering in Calcutta for that, and we really need prayer that God raises people who will do more rescues in Calcutta. I have a question for you. You know, India also uh, just recently cracked the top ten of most dangerous countries for Christians, um, and that's that's been since I was last there, which was in seventeen. Uh, so it's now in the top ten um, most dangerous countries for a Christian to be to be worshiping, living, practicing. Has the new government, has the, uh, how has that culture now impacted being a Christian? Have you felt, have you guys felt more oppressed or? Where West Bengal is concerned, uh, it's not as much because we have a government which is much more liberal. But definitely because of the central policies and many states in India are experiencing that persecution that's going on. And we have to now become more careful in how we word our social media, how we put up on our website, what we write. So we have to be careful in how we communicate our faith. Uh, but being in Calcutta, I think we are a little bit more protected uh, from that. Yeah, what she's saying, to just explain a little bit, uh, the state of Bengali is known as the most tolerant state uh, in India, and that uh, it comes part, partially because it was communist for so many years, which is like everyone is, should be equal, the, that philosophy. Uh, it's interesting how, how God uses communism. <laughs> he we got our license from things. a communist government uh, with papers that said we exist to make the love of Christ known yeah. to every man, woman, and child, and they gave us our license to open our home. So what I want to do is uh, I want us to close in a time of prayer. And uh, I, so my final question would be, Eddie, feel free if you want to visit with her afterwards. Again, another plug tomorrow evening. Do you have a question, Isabel? Okay, go ahead. Okay. A lot of it is from North America, from Canada, from churches like yours. 
We also do some fundraising locally uh, in India. So altogether, we have not, we have intentionally not approached government funding because if we do, then there are much more restrictions on expressing our faith because even for us, we have daily devotions with the girls, but we started off by having church in the home, but because of this political stuff, we have moved it out. So there's, we partner with another church where only our kids go to the church because of security reasons, but it is outside the home. You, oh, besides praying, you can advocate for us. You can host events like this where people locally can, you know, come and share because this is a problem that is not just in India. It's here as well. You can find organizations here that are doing similar work and you can get yourselves involved with that. If there is a trip coming, you're most welcome to come and we will take care of you. Don't worry, it's not a frightening place. You're not going to die. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah. All are Indian. No Westerners in India, in uh, Sonagachi, no. So what I'd like us to do, closing, is uh, I'm going to ask you two or three things that we can be praying for. And then Ty and Tyler, or at least Ty, they're going to come and they're going to play some music seeing but as they are doing that I would like us to gather or those who feel led uh, Pam, Roger, uh, Linda if you'd stand there and some some folks here will lay hands on you and we'll be praying as there's music and, uh, and, and I think sometimes music makes it more comfortable to pray so you don't have to pray out loud but you can pray in your mind or you can sing or you can pray out loud uh, specifically uh, I, you know, I can think of prayers that, you know, God would just continue to push through uh, the, the darkness of all the world. And there are, there are many dark places, uh, but it always originates in the human heart. And, and pray, for, um, pray for pimps to be Christian and have heart change. Uh, and that uh, gospel change is going to be more powerful than legal change or economic change or uh, any worldly change, but the change of a heart, and that that grows more through your ministry, uh, through Mahima, and into the hearts of these girls. That's one thing. But then, if one or two things that you that we could be praying for intentionally in this time at our closing. Yeah, I just think that you can keep my staff in prayer because it is stressful, it is difficult work, but they are called to do this work, and they do it joyfully. But they need encouragement a lot of times, so you know, just keep them in prayer. Uh, we are looking to purchase a building in Sonagachi, and it is hard because people want to have brothels there and not have NGOs come in and set up. But we have found a place, so we pray if that is the place God leads us to buy, that we will be able to have our presence in a permanent way within the largest red light district. And uh, if you could keep that in prayer as well. And of course, for our girls, as they move through their journey of healing, that God speaks to them in powerful ways and that they encounter him in a very personal way and come to accept him as his Lord and Savior. So those are things that we can be thinking and praying for now in the present, but that we can also carry with us in prayer. So what we'll do now is I will, I'll say a prayer that leads into this song and then Smith, you be there, and then some of our intentional prayers uh, will be uh, prayer warriors laying hands on you. Pam, 
Roger, uh, anyone else welcome. You don't have to, but a few of us will be gathered around her. And then uh, ask all of you to just be praying in this time as we close. And then again afterwards, um, you know, you can visit with her, see her tomorrow night. And just so thankful for you. So let's pray together, and then we'll continue praying. Heavenly Father, just thank you that you are who you are. You, um, you raise uh, unlikely people in unlikely places to be leaders for your kingdom uh, in our time on earth. And uh, our sister here is one of them. And so just thankful for, uh, I thank you for uh, meeting that guy, Jay, uh, years ago. And uh, just the way you connect dots in, in our time and our lives. And so uh, may those connections grow in Smith's time here in the next few days. New connections, new relationships, new partnerships, strengthening, uh, strengthening existing partnerships for your kingdom. Uh, I pray that others would would really move into this opportunity more, uh, really to go and see just uh, your work, your word, your hand uh, in in churches uh, there, in in ministers there, uh, in boys' homes there, in in, in aftercare shelters, and I pray that that would grow and it would really. I just strengthen the the city of Calcutta, uh, the state, the region, uh, and the nation of India. And I pray for the nation because I I hear more and more uh, stories of uh, uh, just oppression against Christianity there. So I pray for believers. I pray for churches, for pastors uh, in uh, in that country that you love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen.